Good evening, everyone. You're listening to the Necromaniacs podcast. A couple of episodes ago, we um, talked about Seder. Probably one of our collectively favorite films that we've seen in 2020. And uh, that's why this episode is a really special episode because I was able to get Jordan Graham, the writer, director, composer, editor, the guy behind this whole film. I got a chance to talk to him. And it was uh, an epic conversation. We covered a lot of different topics and we drilled deep into the story behind Seder. Here we go, enjoy. So a friend of mine, uh, Rennie, who actually was a co-host on this show uh, time and again, emailed me a link to this uh, movie called Sator, or Sator. I'm not exactly sure how to pronounce it. Sator. He's like, yeah. you should see this. So Sator, yeah. So he's like, you should see this. So it was like a Friday night, just starting to get dark, and I rented it. And uh, I watched it in complete darkness in my apartment and uh, totally, totally blown away by it. I just, number one, the way the film looked and uh, number two, just the, um, the overall uh, slow burn of the whole narrative. And uh, one of the things I appreciated the most about the film was how it, you know, it took its time coming to the conclusion, yet the conclusion was sort of like this end point that you were beat the whole family and all the characters were being drawn to. So, uh, so yeah, congratulations, man. I mean, I've all, all three of us who uh, run this, uh, this podcast are, are huge fans now. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. It's, it's nice to hear. I don't read like reviews or anything. So it's a, uh, I like hearing it from personally from people and stuff like that. So yeah, now, over, over the years, uh, starting back, I think uh, one of the first movies I saw, which made me realize that horror as a genre might be tearing a, a corner, was uh, The Black Coat's Daughter. I don't know if you okay. seen yeah. that. Uh -huh. Yep. Yeah. Uh, uh, Oz, Oz Perkins. Perkins. Yeah. Oz Good Perkins. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Big fan. So when I, when I well, saw that fan. movie, yeah. Yeah, I, I was like, yeah, I was like, wow, horror is actually turning a corner. And then there's been, you know, over the years, um, other important films. And I think that Seder is right up there with all these like turning points. And it's, um, you know, I hate the word elevated horror because I don't, you know, I've, I've been a lifelong fan of the genre, mm. but I, I would say it's like, uh, like an evolution where there's like maybe, uh, you know, some of the more, uh, you know, filmic elements like sort of uh, entering into, into the, the, the creation of, uh, yeah. of, of horror. Oh no, I, to I totally yeah. agree. So, I mean, it's been like a, it's been interesting too. Cause like I started making this film before black coat's daughter too. And before the witch and be before hereditary and before under the skin and, and killing of the sacred deer. And, um, and so like, as I was making it, these films were coming out. Oh, and like, it comes at night as well. Like as I was making the film, like all these other ones are coming out and like, Oh, this is great. Like, I feel like my film can, fit perfectly in this was like hurry up finish finish this thing <laughs> because it took so so long um and then uh yeah my first kind of because I've never been like the biggest horror fan I guess um and I know there's always been like kind of smart horror out there but it, it just never like hit me until I watched uh the first season of True Detective that's that was like a huge oh. 
huge turning point for me. So uh, that was we're like, wow, you can make stuff that is creepy and scary, and I don't you don't have to rely on pop outs or or cringy dialogue or stuff like that. And I know there's again there's been films like that prior, but this is this is just where it, it hit me, and uh, that was kind of like my first big inspiration for making Seder. So. Are, are you familiar with uh, the writing of uh, you know, Thomas Ligotti and uh, you know, H.P. Lovecraft and all that sort of stuff? Because I feel like that informs that first season that you're doing. Um, a little bit of H.P. Lovecraft, not much. Um, uh, I've been trying, like I have, a, I have a book of all of his writings, but I just, I haven't had the time to, to sit down. I've read like a couple stories like a couple years ago or something like that. But anyways, sorry. Yeah, but that, that first season of True Detective, man, that that I, I didn't know what to make of that at first. I was like, oh, it's, you know, it sounds interesting. It's got two two mm-hmm. actors I like. Uh, mm-hmm. I had actually read some of Nick, Nick Pitts a lot of those short stories before, uh, and I realized that he was the you know the screenwriter on that. And yeah, up until like about seventy five percent through the series, uh, through that season rather, I was expecting to see some kind of supernatural creature at the end. So, <laughs> oh, really? Okay. And. Uh, Oh yeah. Yeah. It played, it played on. Yeah. And, and I guess like, that's an important sort of like, like a uh, point that comes up in Seder is that the, the line between the, the natural world or the material world and the sort of ethereal, like supernatural world oftentimes is blurred, you know, yeah. it might even be just a matter of perspective as to what's exactly. real and what's not real. Yeah. Yeah. That's for sure. That's definitely, you know, a- I think Seder, Seder, Seder definitely plays plays with that sort of line, you know. Yeah, no, it, like uh, I definitely didn't want to know what's like underneath those costumes, and even if there are entities out there wearing those those costumes. But um, yeah, no, I agree. I didn't want to just say like, okay, this is. It could either be possibly a spirit. It could be like an alien. Maybe there's definitely like hints to that kind of in the film. It could be, um, could be just humans messing with people out there um or it could just like you said just in your head so the, this film took seven years to make or seven yeah. or eight years to complete seven years yeah <laughs> too long <laughs> way too long and uh, I, I i looked at the credits and it seems like you're credited for almost almost every possible role that you could play in uh making a film yeah uh I um, I mean, basically, most days was just myself and an actor or two. Uh, I did have like so I shot for 120 days, and there was probably about 10 days where I had one person like assist me on on doing some basic stuff like holding an umbrella when it was raining, or like there's a shot where the where I'm following this truck, so I had to have somebody drive a truck, and I sat on sat on the hood of it and and filmed in there. Uh, and yeah then post-production i was on my own for four years or so on that uh so yeah i mean basically when there was one day i had one big day of shooting and that was i had three people help me and that's where the where we set that beard on fire at the end of the film that was too dangerous for me to do it myself so um so i had three people help me for for an hour or so Wow. And, and also, did you, you also do the score for this film too? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm not a musician at all. Uh, 
but I was just trying to like I, I was really kind of influenced by paranormal activity like the end of paranormal activity the 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 credit song on there it's just it's just a bunch of sound effects and it's just really really creepy so I was trying to figure out ways of of doing stuff like that that's not actual like music but more uh just disturbing sound effects so I my tools were I had um I did get a really cheap bass guitar off Amazon and a violin bow and I did try playing a couple notes but that didn't work out so I was just making sound effects with that and then uh I had pots and pans and nuts and bolts and I just made sound effects with uh with with that and then put it into Adobe Audition and and experimented with slowing things down and adding EQs and and warping it and making it what it sounds like in the film yeah yeah it's funny because that's actually how a lot of industrial records are made just with like you know natural sounds and slowing things down and you know filters and stuff like that yeah no I like um yeah I definitely I and I wanted something that was really kind of organic like that I, I know you can create kind of like music within the computer and I really didn't want to do that I wanted something that um that felt very like organic yeah are, are you uh are you are you, a, you know, are you into music no not really i mean i am i mean i love music but i uh i am not like uh like i don't I, I mean i guess like in high school i loved metallica and sublime and then i'm a big fan of like john mayer but that's pretty much like like the extent of like my fandom of music or me getting it like if I hear a song that I like I'll listen to that over and over again but um yeah and I guess you kind of see that in a uh, Seder a little bit too because there is not really any traditional music in there and and the score that I do have is very minimal uh I don't especially in horror films I have a hard time with music in films like as soon as uh like if something's supposed to be scary and it's quiet and I'll get really tense and anxious and then as soon as the music starts coming in to tell me that it's scary then I completely uh, uh lose my tension uh so that's with Seder was trying to have it be as quiet as I possibly can and I'll probably continue doing stuff like that in the in the future uh minimal music and more of atmosphere and stuff like that yeah, that's, I find that actually very surprising because it sounds, it sounds like, uh, you know, if, if, like when I first watched this film, I was like, oh yeah, the guy, the guy was doing the scores into some like, you know, artsy experimental music or, you know, into like Sun, like one of those bands or something like that. <laughs> no, that was my first go at any sort of, any sort of music. <laughs> yeah, no, I, uh, yeah, because again, there's no like notes or anything. It's just making things that are, that sound, uh, creepy or whatnot i was in it's not really music but I, another thing that was influenced not well there actually there's a couple of influences that i had with music was um in santa because i live in santa cruz california uh and uh on the beach every i don't know like wednesday or thursday there's the, this uh woman that goes out onto the beach with a whole bunch of crystal um like bowls and and she'll uh, 
like rub the tops of those bowls and it would make like this trance-like uh, sound. And I, I only, I mean, she's there all the time, but I've only been there once to listen to it. And it definitely put me in kind of like this trance-like mode. So I definitely was trying to, um, and that's just the movie, it, Seder has a lot to do with trances and stuff. It's like, okay, I'd love to put the audience in a trance. So it, um, I tried doing something similar with like that sound um of the crystal bowls but that was such a higher pitch i wanted it to be low so that's where i was like i'm rubbing top of the pots it keeps it kind of like a, a lower lower sound i was also really influenced by um uh it was like nasa that was trying to record the planets and um they oh, yeah. it's like where they they are recording like the the vibrations and they were able to translate it to audio and it's just this very creepy like kind of sound and so uh that was another kind of inspiration i really liked that that kind of trippy sound um so yeah i was going to mention that uh in your bio it says you're from santa cruz uh, i guess you still live in that in that area right yeah for now um yeah until i get like a like we're um so like before the industry or be sorry before a uh, seder i had like no connections in the in the industry at all and then uh since this movie's gotten out there the last year and a half at like the festivals and and stuff like door, a lot of doors <clears throat> have been opening and and um and then I signed with like this manager uh, a few weeks ago and and yesterday we were going over kind of like the game plan for the next script and the meetings that I'll be having to go into. And uh, so I will probably end up eventually making that move to L.A., but I'm not going to do it until I. Uh, until something's actually going on and because I like. I thought about that for years. So I've been trying to make films now for 21 years and like when I'd go to LA, but if I was there trying to figure out what to do while all these people around me are trying to have the same dreams, I would I would probably feel very depressed. So I'm uh, waiting until I get, until I get things moving, so. That's why I was surprised to see that, uh, you know, most of this was shot or actually, I mean, maybe all of it was shot around santa cruz because my understanding is that i mean i've been to santa cruz maybe two or three times in my lifetime and it's it's basically a beach town so i didn't realize there was forest like that nearby yeah no the forest. well so the the film was probably 98 percent, 99 percent shot in santa cruz uh yeah like, like kind of like near ucsc a little bit up in the mountains there um yeah so like uh the cabin so i built the cabin in my mom's backyard which is about five blocks away from five six blocks away from the um the beach so the cabin stuff all the interior of the cabin wasn't in the forest uh and then it would take probably about a half hour to 40 minutes to drive up into the mountains to to uh, get the foresty stuff and then there was two days in yosemite valley for the snow all the snow stuff Because I, when I first turned this on, I was like, man, this looks like, you know, some Northern California, you know, Cascades or something like, you know, but I was, I was surprised to learn that. 
Yeah, I know. Like Santa, yeah. I mean, because I'm growing up here. I'm I'm in the mountains all the time, and I know I know it really well up there. I mean, I've been going up there since I was a little kid, and so I know a lot of the secret spots and things that only locals will know. And and I'm I like having Santa Cruz be in my films. It's it's na the name in it. It's called Midground. Uh, that's my name, Santa Cruz, in my films. But I'm um, gonna keep continuing. Put like my next script at the first 20 minutes or so takes place in there. And yeah. So I'm glad you brought that up because inside in the film, there's a, a commercial, mm -hmm. that, uh, you know, that, that actually, I think appeared in your, uh, your other, your first uh, feature length film specter. Yeah. About with uh featuring mid ground. And, yeah. and then there's also a short that you made called mid ground. So is there some kind of continuum between all three of these films? Yeah, I mean, like, well, uh, the mid-ground one, yeah, there, there's a lot of history with all that stuff. I mean, just, I don't know if it's a little more like negative history. So, like, mid-ground was my first attempted at a feature film, and then that that didn't go very well. Uh, and so, uh, eventually, I will. Uh, there's still part, there's segments of it that I do like, and so I will put like little vignettes out of from the ground like little shorts from that but then a uh, specter um yeah i mean yeah it takes place in mid-ground it has the same like movie brands like i i like having like in movie brands that i create like crooks vodka and cock and rock eatery and um 210 cigarettes and young love island brewing uh so i like creating like a new one for each film uh so like they do kind of connect that way specter is a film that I can't, I do not like at all and wish wasn't part of my resume, but um, that's all right. Uh, it didn't get very much attention anyways. So that's, that's fine. But uh, Seder will be kind of like the first in, in all this and the films. Yeah. They'll connect like uh, um, it's just kind of like they're in the same world, I guess, uh, very loosely uh, mainly through location and brands. And maybe one day I'll like, I'll bring back another character or something. Um, but I just, the net, the two, the, the next two scripts that I have written are, um, uh, they're very, like very loosely connected, not, um, like it, mainly just through location and, and like brand names and stuff like that. Yeah, I, I immediately went to go find Spectre uh, after I watched Seder, and uh, it's actually on that that network that um, it's on that app Tubi. Okay, yeah. With that. yeah. It's like it's like you, you get to watch movies, but with commercials. So, okay, you know, yeah. It's the only place I was able to find it. Yeah, no, I tried. Uh, I I haven't seen that film in probably six, seven years. And so I, when Spectre released, or sorry, when Seder released, I tried putting it on just for shits and giggles. And I, uh, I could only get about 15 minutes in it and I had to shut it off. Couldn't, I couldn't do it. Uh, yeah, I'm definitely. Oh, that's, that's, a, that's natural. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I've said this kind of, be, I've said this kind of like before in other interviews where like, um, with Seder, yes, I will. I, there's already parts of it that I can't watch anymore. Um, and that's great. Like, uh, 
if you don't think you can do better, then maybe you should stop what you're doing. So I'm always thinking I can make a better film, but I'm always going to be proud of Seder. And I went into Seder as something that I am, of something that I, I'm taking very seriously and, uh, and really want to get out there. And um, Spectre was something that I, uh, I was doing wedding videography when I started that film. And that's, or that was the year that I started wedding videography. And my, the guy that we burnt his beard, he was the one I was doing a wedding videography with, and he bought a bunch of gear and, uh, and cameras and stuff. So I was like, Oh, well, let's go make a, let's go make a film. So that's what Spectre, Spectre was more kind of like a joke, just having fun with my friends. I wasn't expecting it to go anywhere. And then I made a trailer for it. And uh, when the trailer got out there, a, a sales agent approached me and, and said that he would like to try selling it. And I'm like, oh, well, if I can make some money off this thing, that would be pretty cool. But as far like, I don't really want to be associated with it too much. So um, that's why like, I'm pretty vocal about how I dislike it. Cause I never, I never gave it that passion like I did with Seder and um, Spectre has like all the, the horror tropes and cliches that I can't stand. And um, so, I mean, it's a growing experience, but I'll, uh, I still wish it wasn't, wasn't there, but um, yeah, anyway. Now, I think, you know, just, just we, don't, we don't have to go on and on about Spectre, but it actually, I think it holds up as a pretty cohesive movie, you know, honestly. Well, thank um, you. <laughs> but some of the actors, some of the, some of the actors make a reappearance in Seder though. Yeah. Yeah, so they've been acting so the for me like, forever. Yeah, so it seems that they're like these local, local Santa Cruz guys, or yeah. Well, so Michael, the one with that we burnt the beard at the end. Uh, I've known him since I was thirteen. He was eleven, so we were seventh grade when we met. And then um, he's been that. And thirteen is when I started making films. So that's he's been acting in everything of mine since then. And. Uh, and then over 10 years ago, when he graduated San Jose State, um, he had got like a business degree and he didn't know what to do with it. And so we got into wedding videography together. And so we did that together for probably six years until I went off on my own with wedding videography. And so, but then, yeah, Mike, Michael has been acting everything that I've done. It's going to be difficult, I feel like, in the future because I'm... I've been writing my past films. Like I, I, again, I told you I had like no connection with anybody. So um, I'm very comfortable with these actors or my friends that have been in the films. And I'm always kind of writing to their capabilities because they're the best actors that I know. Um, but now kind of like going into the future, like I'm not writing with anybody in mind. And uh, so I will, I'm gonna try to include Michael as much as I can. Um, but I, I don't know. Gabe, on the other hand, uh, who's the lead in the film, uh, I met him in high school, my senior year in high school. He was in a project that a short film that I did there. And then he's uh, been acting. He was acting in that mid-ground short that you mentioned. He's been acting for me, too, for um, quite a long time. Uh, I mean, skateboard. I mean, these are all skateboard friends of mine, too. So, like, they're all people that I grew up with. Uh, and then... Aurora, so the Deborah, the character Deborah at the end, um, Aurora, she, uh, I went to high school with her as well. And she also acted in a short. And then the 
actress, Rachel Johnson, um, Evie in the film, that's my fiance and we're, we're getting married uh, uh, next month. Um, oh, congratulations. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, so, but I mean, like we've been together for 10 years. So, mm -hmm. and I, she's been, she was in Spectre as well. And yeah, so. And of course, uh, the character Nani was played by your, your um, your, oh, yeah. your, uh, <laughs> your, your grandmother, right? Yeah, she, yeah, I guess years. I've known that, that person a little bit longer than everybody else. Uh, yeah, that was my grandmother. She passed in 2019, right before um, I finished the film. I, I got accepted into Fantasia Film Festival. And then the last time I saw her, I was able to tell her that uh, the film got accepted into the film festival, but her mind was um, dementia completely took over then. So she didn't really know what, what that meant, but she did see a, a clip of the film uh, when I was really early stages of her speaking. So she was able to see that. Uh, and, but she didn't really know like who she was even looking at. And um, yeah, I mean, like there's obviously the, the whole history of my, my grandmother and stuff. If you, if you want to get into that, we can. Well, she's sort of like the linchpin of uh, of the film in some ways because there was uh, my understanding is that initially you had a, diff a completely different script that you were trying to film, and then I mean this stuff's all out in various interviews and write ups about the movie. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so I mean, if you want to, I'd like to actually talk about that because I find that to be a pretty interesting point of the film. Yeah. So um, yeah, I had an original story. Uh, and I, I couldn't even tell you really what it was because that was so long ago and I've already written a couple other things. So my mind is, I mean, I just, I don't remember my original story too much. I know it had something to do with aliens. I, and I think, I don't even like, yeah, something along those lines. But anyways, so definitely about a person that was isolated in the cabin, like that was still, still there. Uh, and since I built that cabin, I wasn't expecting it to, to look as good as it, it did. And, um, and it, because it has like such an old vintage kind of look and, and I couldn't afford or find any place that looked as good as that. I wouldn't be able for it anyway. So I was like, Oh, well, let's use my uh, grandmother's house. Uh, Cause that's kind of off in the woods. And I, um, and maybe I can put her in the film as like a quick cameo. And, and if I like it, they're like, whatever, they're like, we'll do an improvisational scene. If I like it, then yeah, she'll, she'll be in there. And I'm like, this would be kind of a cool way to memorialize her. And so uh, this was like on day 10 of shooting. I go in to, uh, I take Michael over there to her house and I hide him in the back room. And I tell him that like, okay, you're, once when I get all set up, you're going to uh, come out. You're going to meet my grandmother on camera for the first time. And you're going to uh, pretend to be her grandson. And you're going to talk about uh, like talk about spirits and trying to think just talk about things that are going to get her speaking she's a very spiritual person and and if you talk about ghosts and stuff she'll probably uh talk about that um and then so i get all set up and my grandmother really didn't know what was like happening on, on that first day i was like oh you're going to help me with the project and she's like oh okay and she's watching me set up all this gear and stuff she's like what is that what is that thing and then uh, I call action and Mikey comes out and uh, he brings up the spirits. And that's when she started 
talking about her automatic writings and how the well and the voices that were in her head and and how they used to communicate with her through something called automatic writing and i had no idea what that was uh, she's never talked to me about it before or anybody really in my family presently or um and uh and so then after when i was done shooting that first bit of improvisational scene i went home was trying to edit it into the film and i'm just looking at this or listening to this stuff about automatic writing and i go and ask my mom like what is what is this automatic writing stuff and she's like oh well, your grandmother used to this that's just what she used to do and but uh, my mom was way too young really at that time to really understand um really what was going on i guess she doesn't or really remember it and i asked if there were any like samples of that automatic writing anywhere and my and uh my mom's like oh no she she burnt those years ago but i still thought i had something very interesting here so and i thought it would be a lot better story than whatever i'm telling already or just just a lot more interesting than what i'm saying already and i'm going to explore this automatic writing thing so then i went back to my grandmother many times and uh, had more in, uh, improvisational scenes about the automatic writings. And uh, I ended up finding like a couple of them uh, that she didn't burn. And so I was like, okay, cool. I'll, I'll be able to get like five of her, like five pages of her automatic writings in, in the film. And then, uh, uh, and, and she knew at that point that we, we were making, a like I, I was there all the time and, um, and she would always call me up and ask like when I'm going to come over and film with her and stuff like that. So then when dementia got really, really bad, uh, it became, and when I was finished shooting, we, uh, it became unsafe for her to be in that house. So then we had to put her in a care home that's here in Santa Cruz. And then after we put her in there, uh, um, uh, I, we had to clear out her house and in the back closet, I ended up finding two boxes and one box had a thousand page journal of her documenting every single day, thousand pages, thousand page journal. Yeah. Documenting every single day with Seder from like for three months in the summer of 1968. And, uh, and so I always knew about Seder, but I only knew about him as like my grandmother's guardian. I didn't know the impact that he had on her. Um, so, and I, I think I even remember telling Michael at the beginning, like, uh, don't mention Seder because I have no idea how I'm going to use that in the film. So uh, if she brings it up, try to like get away from it. I've, um, and so, but then, yeah, I find this bot, that box and that journal and then I'm reading through it. And it's just like, wow, like when I want to adapt this into a movie one day, uh, but I have to figure out a way to include Seder in this film. And then there was a second box and the second box was all those automatic writings that you see in the film, like hundreds and hundreds, maybe even thousands of pages of, of automatic writings that she wrote within those three, three months. So basically like she'd draw those automatic writing or, uh, or write the automatic writings. And then she would uh, translate them in her journal and then, uh, and then write all about her day in that journal. But the journal was like, written like a book because she wanted to actually publish it. Uh, so it's very, very, very well written. Um, I mean, like it's boring. Some of, some of it's boring, uh, like it gets repetitive on places, but it's, it gets really like disturbing and uh, just she, 
she like Seder convinced her that she was the biblical Eve and she became purified or not purified. That's she became like, well, kind of, I guess she started wearing all white and her white pearls and became like this um, powerful woman figure. And uh, because she was kind of not, my grandfather was in like the CIA and he, um, Oh wow. CIA. Yeah. So he was in the CIA and they were always uh, traveling to different, like they were sending them to different places. So when they finally got to Tucson, like it felt like my uncle was born in the Philippines. Uh, my mom, I mean, like they would travel to uh, Germany uh, and live there. And then when they ended up in Tucson, Arizona, uh, that's where they were for like a few years. And that's where my grandmother, that's when a Ouija board came into her house and she was feeling very like, just like the stay at home mom with no purpose and, and, upset that her husband was just off working, leaving her with the, the kids all day. And so uh, this Ouija board and Seder was giving her some sort of purpose. And it, it, she ended by the end of that summer, she ended up in a psychiatric hospital because of it. Uh, so um, yeah, so Seder had, I learned that Seder had a huge impact on my, my family's life and they, they refused to read that journal. So I know more about my, my family than the family's history with that than they do. And so we, um, but I'm already in post-production. It's like, now I got to figure out, I want to get Seder in this film somehow. So uh, at the care, like I got audio of my grandmother talking about him at the care home. Uh, the very opening of the film where you see, it's just black and white shot of her face talking. That was uh, me recording her trying to talk about Seder uh, at the care home. Um, I'm a, at that point, like, so it was kind of like a race against time. So the very first time that I got audio about my grandmother talking about Seder, she talked all about Seder and I got almost everything I needed. And, and I probably got three different days of recording that day. And on the last day, uh, the, uh, trying to get her to talk about Seder, Seder was like completely worked from her mind and I was filming her or gone from her mind. And I was like filming her for 40 minutes straight asking her like, who is Seder? Who is Seder? And eventually that's where she finally said like, oh, well, Seder was in charge of me, my life, me, uh, whatever that, that, that said at the opening of the film. Um, yeah. So it was a process. There was like definitely a lot of luck too. Like you see Seder at the end of the film, like that, that the Ram skull in there. And right. I didn't, I, that was a, like a complete fluke. Like that wasn't Seder in my head when I shot that. So was, then after I decided to use Seder in the film, like, oh, well, there he is. He's there at the end of the film. That's pretty cool. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, I mean, this this probably is more, yeah, I'm, I'm projecting a lot onto this because I, a lot of what I read about and, you know, my own interests in, in you know, weird fiction informs my opinions about this movie. So it almost seems like Seder could be this, you know, this, this entity that exists partially in the material world and partially in like some ethereal mm -hmm. world of the mind or some yeah. natural realm or something. Like yeah. That. Yeah. I, I like what we were saying earlier. Like I, I didn't want to just completely say that, okay, he is real and he's out there or he is a spirit or he, he is just in your mind. Um, I wanted that to be up into interpretation, I guess, soon. Yeah. 
Uh, and the film also plays around with like the idea of um, like the material world versus the mind, you know, where it's like mm-hmm. these like these two say there's these two aspects of Seder. One like okay, it's a material being, or it exists purely in the mind. However, both of those manifestations actually affect the material world in the same way. So what what's what actually is the definition of real? You know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess you don't know <laughs> in the film. Yeah, that's that's a big mystery, right? Yeah. Yeah. So what 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 types of films? Um, I mean, I, I gotta be honest, man. I, I this is like unlike anything that I've especially in like popular film that I've mm-hmm. seen. You know, I haven't really seen too many movies. Aside, aside from like maybe some kind of experimental like you know art piece or something but mm-hmm. this has like it's its feet in like a popular commercial sort of setting but it also references all this other kind of experimental and like art film yeah what what stuff like like what what are you into as far as films and you know what kind of stuff actually like you know is it uh you know Stanley Kubrick, for example, oh, yeah. or like what kind of stuff are you? Into? I'm a huge. I'm a, I'm obsessed with Stanley Kubrick for sure. Um, I'm uh I'm really into Yorgos Lanthimos. He did Killing the Sacred Deer and the Lobster and, yeah. and Dogtooth. Um, I'm into Nicholas Winding Refn, uh, who, right. who did yeah. Only God Forgives and Drive and The Neon Demon. And then I'm into um, um, like I do like Lars von Trier and Gaspar Noe, and uh, but like I I can only watch their films kind of like in segments. I can't just sit through like one of their films the whole time. Do you know Do you know those two? Von, yeah, von Trier, yeah. Noe, definitely. Um, both of them I'm really big fans of, uh, but Gaspar knows films can be very brutal. Exactly. Which is especially his, like, I I can't really like sit through one of his films in one sitting. It's kind of like, I'll watch it for a little bit and I'll turn it off and then come back to it. Um, but I'm definitely very influenced by that. Um, I'm looking trying looking at my, uh, film collection. I really like, uh, like under the skin is a, was a big influence on me. Um, so I definitely like, like, I love Mandy. Actually. Yeah. Oh man, that's, that's, I, I rewatched that. Like when, when that movie came out, I like watched it probably on a monthly basis, actually. Mandy? I love that movie. Yeah. 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 The first time I saw it, I, I hated it. And then, uh, and then, but I feel like, I feel like that with a lot of these artsy films, like I don't enjoy them the first time, but then I'm thinking about it. And then I watched Mandy again uh, but I had a little bit, I smoked a little bit of weed and, uh, it, I loved, loved it that second time. Um, and then, uh, uh, yeah. So I like, I like the, I like this psychological horror. I like, um, like all those films that I mentioned, they're not like horror, but they kind of are a little bit like I love Eraserhead too. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, David Lynch. Or- um, yeah, like I, I'm definitely a big fan of David Lynch. I l- like Inland Empire, the very last shot of the movie of Seder, um, where everybody's sitting in that back room that's uh, was influenced by 
um, David Lynch's The Rabbit, uh, The Inland Empire with Rabbits. Uh, anyway, it's like a segment in there. Um, yeah, so I like I like the art house stuff. I um, that's what I'm into. Like I said, like True Detective. I'm into stuff that is creepy. Like going forward, I think my films that I'm doing are even less horror than Seder. Uh, as far as kind of tropey stuff, like like how there's the spiders and the crows and and stuff like, and there are a couple pop outs and stuff. But the next ones going forward, I feel like they're even more accessible than Seder because Seder is pretty out there and artsy. And I was trying to make something that was uh, I didn't care about how commercial it was going to be. I wanted to make something that was just as unique as I possibly can to hopefully stand out a little bit to to um, to have people reach out to me uh, so I I can actually make a career out of filmmaking. And so it definitely I feel like it accomplished that. Um, I mean, I'm still cautiously optimistic, but uh, I feel like it it did do something like that. But go, yeah, going forward, like. Um, like one of my films is a, that I wrote, it deals with a heavy subject matter that's a lot more, like it's less horror than Seder, but it's more fucked up, I guess. Um, it's a lot more anxiety, I feel like. And then another one that I just wrote is kind of like a sci-fi-ish type thing. And that one's a lot more brutal than Seder, but they're not, it, I feel like it's, more psychological thriller, I guess. I was talking to someone recently, they were like, uh, yesterday they were saying like, what's the definition between, or can you tell me the definition or the difference between thriller and horror? And I couldn't answer that. I still don't think I could really answer that. I, I but, just think that's a, that's a subjective uh, question, really. I mean, that's, there's, I don't, yeah. I, mean, I, I guess there is probably a Webster's, uh, you know, definition, but. I don't know. I feel like some of my favorite films are in that kind of gray area between thriller and horror. Yeah. Yeah, me too. And I, I like, I like the drama element. I like the realness element. I don't like films where I'm, well, I, I'm saying I don't like films because like this, but I do though, uh, with like just screaming and pop outs and, and, but I do like those films. It's just, I, I just like the other ones more, I guess. And, and I like stuff with atmosphere. Like I, I, I uh, love Midsummer and and The Lighthouse and The Witch, uh, and I guess and Hereditary too. Uh, so like those two directors, I'd, I'm a huge fan of too. And um, I feel like I can fit pretty well in their in their realm of type of films. I want to make things a little again a little bit more accessible, kind of like how Midsummer Hereditary are. Um, but, uh, I'd still like, I still like the, or going to keep the atmosphere and keep stuff moody and, um, trying to try and not, I don't not necessarily like a sense of humor, but I'm trying to, one of this, what my, my messed up, my script that's dealing with a heavy subject matter, that's just a cold, dark, evil, uh, script. It's not very violent, but it's just like, just the subject matter is very, uh, uh, dark, uh, but I'm trying with this, the sci-fi-ish kind of one, I'm trying to make the characters a little bit happier to a degree, <laughs> but because, um, 
but it's like if i'm doing something that's creepy and horror i want to keep you in that mood it that's why with like Seder, i i didn't want to let up off of the 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 dreariness at all i wanted to keep you in this this creeped out mood the whole way through and then hopefully when it ends you're like oh that was i don't feel very good about myself now um, yeah i mean it's definitely yeah. heavy and bleak throughout the whole film but also what i think the uh, juxtaposing some of the uh the family elements like we like there's there's scenes mm -hmm. in the film where you're they're like look you're looking at uh old photographs and um you know in a book yeah and in those photographs, there's the illusion that everyone's happy because people are smiling and, you know, it's, yeah. it's kind of typical yeah. family. But then as you peel away the layers of the story, you realize that there's all this like toxicity and dysfunction in the family. And it just makes yeah. the, and, you know, the film being like, you know, it's for most people, it's pretty far out and atmospheric and all this other stuff. But those yeah, relatable yeah, yeah, elements, yeah. yeah, those relatable elements, I think, is what like hook people into the story though you know yeah i'm actually like really surprised that um people are taking to it the way they have been because i was really expecting uh people to to hate this thing um so like i mean it's definitely kind of split with regular audiences but i was um uh, hearing um hearing the positive things that i've been hearing from people that enjoy it it's like wow that's that's really really great that it affected you like that um but yeah the family element thing like it, there's the the hiate footage and that was actual uh footage that i found of my family from 30 years ago and was able to uh of my grandmother and grandfather in that cabin i mean sorry in the well in their in their house and i'm looking through this footage my mom got them transferred from a uh, costco she got a uh, then transferred to DVD, these high eight tapes, and I'm looking through them, not looking for anything for the movie. I was just looking at them. And then I come to that birthday that's in my, in my uh, grandmother's house. And, and the house looks exactly the same as it did, uh, 30 years ago, or at that point, uh, 20 something years ago. Uh, and I'm, uh, and I'm looking at how my grandmother and my grandfather are positioned in, in that scene where it, where it's like, wow, they're, they're kind of like, they're off in the side and, and that, and not interfering with anything in the middle. And I can go and create my own scene there in the middle. So I went and I bought the same camera. I made a similar looking cake and made similar looking presents. And, and then, um, we went out there and shot like this flashback scene. And then I just incorporated a 30 year old footage of my grandmother walking around and, um, and. So I feel like that definitely makes it kind of real and authentic where it was actually a real birthday party that was going on. I just kind of created my own, my own scene around it. Yeah. I was wondering how you did that because I'm like, man, like that, that lady that looks just like a younger version of the grandmother, you know? Mm -hmm. yeah, was yeah. She was like 20 years younger. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> At that point. Yeah. So, yeah. so the, uh, the names um, or 20 years. The, the name Seder, that was actually the name that was in the, in the, the real uh, automatic writing, right? Yes. Yeah. Seder. So when my mom brought, so my mom is the one that brought home a Ouija board when she was 12 and to play with her friend. And then my grandmother got a hold of it. And uh, 
And so my grandmother conjured up a bunch of voices in her head and, and through or people through the Ouija board, but they were all like initials. So she had like ANN and there was QSX and QXI and QXI was the ver was the evil one. And then there, then there was Seder and Seder was the only one with a, with a name and Seder was the leader of all the voices um, in her, in her head or that she was talking to. And, and he was the one that, uh, that ended up kind of like controlling my family for that summer. Um, everything that they did was kind of like in his name and, uh, and they would listen to him. He was always trying to teach them, uh, uh what, what's the word I'm looking for? like lessons like everything was a lesson uh and he was always yeah teaching them stuff and this is a, and i'm saying this as if i believe it i this is something i feel like was just a a product of mental health for my grandmother sure. i don't i'm not i'm not somebody that thought this was actually happening but can't say that to my family because we can't even bring up Seder in in uh in family gatherings because they'll uh they'll debate on it and who Seder meant to them and uh or meant to my grandmother and uh so like to my mom Seder was this very friendly entity and to my grandmother or sorry my aunt um Seder was like Satan actually Satan and um so yeah he was that was the actual name I didn't I didn't come up with that yeah did, did you know about the uh the Seder the Seder square it's like a palindrome Mm -hmm. like yeah so i'm yeah. sure yeah that is that i found that because i was yeah i looked up the name and i you know I'm like well, what's you know what what is this is it like some sort of like uh you know mesopotamian deity or something i don't know you know so i looked it up and i can't they had this this palindrome where you stack up these latin words and it comes up with uh seder yeah and various things you know. yeah yeah i so like with my grandmother i remember she well reading through her journals I was, I, I haven't read, I mean, I didn't, I read those journals three years ago, so fuzzy, but uh, I remember she, when she found the name Seder, she was trying to find the meaning of that name. And, uh, and she did mention the Seder square in her journals, but I feel like there was no connection there where she wasn't trying to find a connection. I think she was like, Seder is his own being. He doesn't, he doesn't need to be connected with anything else or something like that. He ended up turning into like the biblical Adam eventually uh, in, in our journals, but yeah. Well, Jordan, thanks a lot, man. I appreciate your time. And, uh, and yeah, I, oh, yeah. once again, man, huge fan. I'm looking forward to what you got coming out next. And, uh, you know, Thank anyone you. out there is listening. Yeah, and anyone out there who's listening, definitely, uh, you know, check out uh, Seder. Uh, you know, we covered this a few episodes ago, so it shouldn't be a surprise to you guys that, um, that I was able to get Jordan on the, uh, on the horn here. So, yeah. But once again, thanks a lot, Jordan. I appreciate it. Yeah. No, of course. This was fun. I enjoyed it. So. All right. Cool. Have a good weekend. Yeah, you too. Okay. Bye. Take care. <laughs>
Yeah.